Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. about the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. I'm so thankful that he breaks in right when we need him most. Amen. Uh, Sometimes he's not early, but he's always right on time, isn't he? Right when you need him most, he's right there with us. Uh, Over the last month or so, we've been going through our process. How many of you know what the passion process is? All right, we're getting ready to find out. We said that all of our, everything that we do is boiled down into three things. The first one is we are going to encounter God. So we come into church with our hands up. We want to worship Him. The second step we've been talking about for about a week now is the, is the equip step. And we said that is hands open. Oh, almost close. Open because uh, we, we want to be equipped. We want to be taught. We have to be uh, teachable and pliable. And then we said the third one, which we will get to in about three weeks, uh, two weeks, three weeks, is engage. That we're not just supposed to come and worship together. We're supposed to take what we get and move out into our community and into our society, into our culture and engage that. So in the way of review, last week I told you that uh, I... I made reference to David's mighty men. David, the Bible says that everybody that was discontent, everybody that was distressed, and everybody that was in debt came and joined themselves to David. And I told you that basically they were a bunch of misfits. 
They didn't fit in. This was not the who's who of America. These people didn't have, they weren't getting awards. They were nobodies. In fact, they didn't have paparazzi chasing them down, trying to chronicle their life, their everyday life, like we see on TV now. They were nobodies. Nobody wanted them. They were misfits. And then I also told you something that we really don't like to admit, but the reality is, is that most of us are misfits as well. Most of us fit into one of those categories. Most of us are in debt or we are discontent or we are distressed. And so we find ourselves as misfits. We, don't, we just quite don't fit in. And then I told you that the good thing about that was that if David could turn a, a ragtag misfit group of young men into a mighty fighting force, God could do the same for us. You remember how we said he could do it? We said, first of all, that we have to rally around a common cause. And our common cause is the passion process. We're going to encounter, we're going to equip, and we're going to engage. And we rally around that. And when we do that, he joins our hearts together, and we become a mighty fighting force. And then I said, not only did they have a common cause, they rallied around one another. They didn't fight each other. They fought the enemy, right? They weren't fighting against one another. They were fighting for one another. So I want you to touch your neighbor and say, I've still got your back. Come on, touch your other neighbor and say, nothing's changed. I'm still praying for you. Right? So we're, we're rallying around one another. Then at third, I told you that the third step was is that they had to be willing to fight. And they were willing to fight. No room for wimps in here. This is not going to be an easy task. When misfits walk in through these doors and when we go out into the community and we encounter misfits, that is not an easy task. We are going to have to be willing to fight. To break addictions, you have to be willing to fight. To bring hope to where there's no hope, you've got to be willing to fight. To bring salvation to where there is no fa- salvation, you have to be willing to endure, to hold on, to fight so we have to be willing to fight and then fourth i told you that the fourth thing that made them mighty men is that they they were willing to come to the place where they would trust leaders again even though they'd been hurt even though they'd been mishandled even though they'd been abused they had to come to the place in their life where they were willing to trust a leader again hear me this morning if you want to have authority you must be under authority to, to, to handle authority, you've got to be able, be able to be under authority. So what I would say to you this morning is you've got to come to the place where you're willing to trust leaders again so that you can handle authority. In fact, let me put it this way to you this morning. The only people you need to fear, the only leaders that you really need to fear are those leaders who, who wield authority but aren't under authority. They don't answer to anybody. And you ought to be scared of those kind of leaders. But as long as you come into a house where there's a group of leaders that have accountability and they answer to other folks to make sure they're doing everything with integrity, then you can trust those kind of leaders. So that brings us to this morning. That's the foundation. I told you last week that that you, in order for you to find your personal destiny, you must first deal with a corporate destiny. Why? Because destiny is never fulfilled in isolation. You will never become everything that God wants you to become by yourself. You need everybody. So we all had to get on the same page. So that's why we went through those four steps. But this morning, I want to start talking to you on a very practical terms. I hope it's practical for you. We're going to begin to deal with how you discover your personal destiny and purpose in life. Now, the great thing about this is that I get to tell you my favorite story and account in the Bible of all times. And so I'm really, I, I guess you're going to have to humor me. I'm preaching for me because I, I love this story. This is my favorite story, and it is a story. So I'm going to do my best to tell you this whole account as a story. Now, hear me very carefully. I hate TV shows that are to be continued, right? 
that I love the show 24, but that's one of the challenges is if you miss a week, you're just thrown off. Well, I'm telling you, the, the three weeks left in this series are like 24. If you miss one, you're going to be messed up because I'm going to purposely leave you hanging at the end of the story, each segment of the story, and then we're going to make personal and practical applications out of it. And if you miss a week, you're not going to know how the story ends. Okay, so I, I need you to be here. The story that we're going to look at is very obscure. Uh, you probably, some of you may have never read it. And so this morning I'm going to take some liberty and I'm going to read a bunch of scripture to you. And I won't do that again as much over the next few weeks. But I want to lay the foundation for this story and show you where it's all at. Now, before we get into this, let me say this. A recent survey revealed that 74% of us are still trying to figure out the purpose or meaning of our life. 74%. And one of the most disturbing findings of this survey that Barna did was this, is that out of those that could not figure out what their purpose was, 74%, 53% contended that they have decided that the main purpose of life is enjoyment and personal fulfillment. What that means is, is that three out of four of you sitting in this room have no idea what you're good for. Oh, I, I know you hold down a job, and I know you got a retirement put back, and I know you got plans in your life. But the truth is, is that most of you, three out of four of you, if the survey is correct, have no clue why God placed you on this earth. If we look in the eye and say, why are you here? You can't answer it. And not only that, out of that group, 53% say, you know what? Since I don't know what I'm good for, I figure I'm just here to have a good time. Let me get some self-centered, selfish accomplishments and achievements just to make me feel good about myself, and that'll have to suffice because I can't figure out what God has for me and planned for me. Let me tell you some things real quick. First two things, the first two truths I want to tell you this morning. Number one, you can know your purpose in life. God is not playing some cosmic game of hide-and-seek. God is not up in heaven right now laughing at you and pointing fingers at you and, and giggling to, as he watches you falter and, and flail through life trying to figure out what you're try, here for. God wants to reveal his purpose and his plan to you. He's not trying to keep it away from you. And the second thing I would say to you is this. You were created for more than fun and a few laughs. There's more of life than that. There's something for you to do, something for you to accomplish that nobody else can accomplish. God has placed you here on purpose. Look at somebody say, I'm here on purpose. Right? We've got to discover that purpose and, and, and walk through that purpose. Anything less than finding and carrying out your purpose is an absolute waste of time. Doesn't matter how much you're paid to do it. Doesn't matter how successful you are. Doesn't matter how famous you become. If it's not your purpose and it's not God's plan, you're wasting your time. So let's get into the scripture, and there's a bunch of them. First Chronicles chapter 2, verses 13 and 16 says this, And Jesse begat his firstborn Eliab, and Abinadab the second and Shimea the third, and Nathaniel the fourth, Radii, why don't they give them easy names, and the, the fifth, Ozim the sixth, David the seventh. That's the whole lineage of Jesse. And then he says this, And David's sisters were Zariah and Abigail, and the sons of Zariah were Abishai and Joab and Asiel three. First Samuel chapter 26, verse 6 through 8. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to, to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul was laying asleep within the place of the wagons with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the people lay around about him. And then, he, then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered up thine enemy into thine hands this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear to the earth at one stroke. And I will not smite him the second time. 
1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 2 through 4. Saul led 3,000 of Israel's best soldiers out to look for David and his men near wild, ro- wild goat rocks at en en Then there were some sheep pens along the side of the road, and one of them was built around the entrance to a cave. Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Go read it in the Living Bible. It's funny. David and his men were hiding at the back of the cave, and they whispered to David, The Lord told you he was going to let you defeat your enemies and do whatever you want with them. This must be the day that the Lord was talking about. David sneaked over and he cut off a small piece of Saul's robe, but Saul did not notice a thing. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. For else none of us shall escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Second Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 9. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out thence a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out and he cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of the King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Be gone, be gone, thou man of blood and base fellow. Jehovah hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose stead thou hast reigned. And Jehovah hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thine own mischief, because thou art a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, uh, said unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Second Samuel chapter 19, verses 16, and then 19 through 21. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was of Bahurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And he said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely that day that the lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come out this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed Jehovah's anointed. Now, before I tell it in my words, let me just tell you. I've been working on a book for about two years. And what I'm going to do, I hate reading to people, but I'm going to read to you the first two chapters because I, I think it fleshes this whole thing out. So if you will just humor me for just a second, let me read it to you in these words because there is no way I can say it like this because, you know, we write better than we talk. So I'm going to read to you what I wrote. A confident gleam brightens his eye. His chest is thrust out a little further than usual. His back is straight and his head is held high. He walks with the prance and pride of a barnyard rooster strutting across his domain. In the middle of an unfinished sentence, the man feels an urgent tug on his cloak. He turns and he looks into the excited eyes of his servant. Without waiting for a single word, he drops the bubblegum cigars he's been distributing so freely and he begins the mad dash home. The old men in the square chuckle as they recall their own experiences of pride and the rush of excitement that comes with the news of labor. Labor. They look. They remember. They understand. He bursts through the door of his home to hear cries of pain and a sudden well of agony as his wife gives birth to their firstborn. He can't stand still. He can't relax. He can't stop the questions. Will it be a boy or a girl? Will the child have all ten fingers and all ten toes? Will he or she be healthy? Will his offspring have his eyes and his mother's light brown hair? Will the child grow up to be a doctor, a sports star, a lawyer, or a teacher? As his mind rushes forward through the next 
18 to 20 years, the adult cries cease and infant cries begin. A baby has been born. The curtain that shielded the view of his laboring wife is shoved back and he's invited to enter. Slowly, cautiously, he makes his way towards the bed as if he were walking on eggshells. Every muscle tense, every sense on full alert. He can hear his own heartbeat. Time seems to have come to a complete stop. It is the moment. As he draws near, he sees a dichotomy, a woman who still bears the residue of pain. The sweat has darkened her long hair, tears streaking down her face. She has a flush, an exhausted face. This image stands in stark contrast to a smile that spreads from ear to ear. The tears that were once denoting pain now reflect sheer joy in her arms and the single focus of her pride-filled eyes lays a tiny bundle of flesh. Their hopes have been fulfilled. The dreams are now a reality. The woman finally breaks the long stare at the child and she shifts her gaze to the man and she extends the baby to him as if she were presenting him the most valuable treasure in the world. Carefully, he takes the child in his arms and with a single glance, he instantly sees himself and his wife reflected in this tiny ball of humanity. His dimples, her lips, his jawline, her wavy brown hair, they are both there in that one wee person. He opens his mouth and he only manages to say this, is it a... And Zariah interrupts him and with a smile in her voice, she answers the unfinished question, that is your son. The man is overtaken by joy and the sudden realization of responsibility. He is more alive at that moment than he's ever been in his life. His son, his heir, his flesh, his treasure. Then Zariah breaks the moment of euphoria by asking the question, what are we going to name him? The father looks intently at the boy again and with a knowing look in his eye, he passionately and prophetically whispers as if the whole world is waiting to hear his name is Abishai. With that whisper of that name, the little boy's world is instantly framed. Words create boundaries and limits, but with the christening of this infant as Abishai's, those limits and boundaries are ripped off and given what give way to a life of questioning, searching, and an unending pursuit of destiny. Every day ended the same. The father would take his son into the nursery and lower him tenderly into his crib. Before he would leave the room, he would lean over the rail of the crib and whisper, You're Abishai. This nightly ritual continued throughout the child's infancy into his toddler years and on into his teenage life. Even though he had been called by his name countless times throughout the day, every night as he closed his eyes and drifted off to sleep, he would hear the familiar footsteps come to to a stop by his bed. And the familiar whisper would fill his ears and burn into his spirit. You are Abishai. Abishai didn't have a memory problem. He had no doubts about his name. So why did his father continue to speak over him every evening? Why was this ritual necessary? The answer is found in the meaning of his name. Abishai means the father of a gift. What a loaded name to hang on a little boy. The name constantly pushed the boy towards greatness and substance. The name Abishai launched him on an all-consuming journey to try to answer the obvious question, what is my gift? Abishai's teenage years are unrecorded. However, they must have been filled with numerous attempts to discover his gift. This is no huge leap of imagination based on what is recorded about Abishai's young adult life. He obviously was obsessed with trying to live up to his name.
The first glimpse into this obsession came into view as Abishai joined David. David has been struggling to survive his father-in-law's continued attempts on his life. He's narrowly escaped Saul. When suddenly the tables are turned and the hunted becomes the hunter. Saul and his men have a, had a long day of searching villages and caves and crooks and crannies only to come up empty on their never-ending manhunt. It's time to rest. Saul and his men circle the wagons and they stretch out for some much-needed sleep, oblivious to the impending danger. David and his men are close, much closer than Saul realizes. David decides to sneak into Saul's camp and he asks this question, Who will go with me? And Abishai doesn't even hesitate. Unflinchingly, he steps up and volunteers for the dangerous mission. Saul's sentries are caught off guard. Exhaustion has overwhelmed their usual awareness and sleep has overtaken them. David and Abishai quietly slip past them and accustomed to the sounds and feels of the wilderness night, they stealthily push deeper and deeper into the king's camp. The royal guard can be seen from here. They must be close. A careful check of the king's personal bodyguard's face reveals no detection or no thinly veiled plot to trick the intruders. Sleep has tamed the anger and the adrenaline of the chase. Silently, inch by inch, they creep closer until finally they are next to the jealous madman king. At this moment, Abishai hears his father's whisper deep in his spirit, You are Abishai, the father of a gift. Abishai hears and his pulse quickens. This is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been dreaming about. This is what I was born to accomplish. This is my destiny. Abishai turns to his companion and asks for permission to fulfill his name. God has given Saul to you today, he tells David. If you allow me to, I'll kill Saul, make you king, and give my gift. Interestingly, David refuses. The gift remains ungiven, and the journey towards destiny continues. This may not have been the first time that Abishai tried to give his gift. Only a few days earlier, David and his men had been hiding from Saul in a cave, and unexpectedly, Saul turns their hiding place into a restroom stop. As Saul is in a vulnerable position, David's men assure him that God has given the king into his hands. We will kill Saul and make you king, they say. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? There's no way to prove it, but this may have been the same young man trying to give his gift. Once again, Saul walks away unscathed, and David exits uncrowned. After a few months of playing cat and mouse, Saul's attention is diverted to another threat. The Philistines have come back again to pick a fight with Israel. Saul rallies his armies and goes into battle. And however, this time, the Philistines get the upper hand. And Saul finds himself surrounded by Philistine archers. Their aim is true. Their arrows fly straight. Saul is critically wounded. Fearful of torture and public display by the Philistine, Saul takes his own sword and falls on it, ending his demented reign as king. Jonathan, Saul's son and heir to the throne, is also slain in battle. The Philistines have done what Abishai was not allowed to do. They've effectively elected David as king. After years of sitting on the throne as king, David's own son, Absalom, betrays him. Absalom, consumed by jealousy and rebellion, sets into motion a plan to overthrow his father and take away his throne. David loved Absalom so so much that he refused to take up arms against his own son, and rather than fight, David retreats. David and his men choose to vacate the palace. David begins a barefooted walk away from Jerusalem, head bowed, Heartbroken, family splintered. Along the way out of Jerusalem, one of Saul's relatives, Shimei, meets David on the road. and He recognizes an opportunity for revenge. Shimei picks up stones and hurls them with the same accuracy with which he threw verbal taunts and accusations against David. With each step, David feels the sting of well-placed rocks 
curses and harsh words. David's vulnerability causes the whisper to swell in an ear-splitting crescendo. You are the father of a gift. Abishai instantly responds, David, why should this dog, this scum of the earth, be allowed to curse the one true king of Israel? Allow me to remove his head. David barely looks up. There was no need to. He had heard this offer before. He recognized the voice. And once again, David holds the gift in check. The rebellion has come to a head. There's no ignoring it. It has to be addressed. Absalom rallies his troops and sends them out to face off against David's men. It's, it isn't even a contest. David's men destroy the rebellion and Absalom becomes an instant refugee. Absalom finds himself in a hairy situation, hanging from a tree, caught by his long locks, unable to defend himself. He is killed by Abishai's brother, Joab. The rebellion is over. David again owns a throne, but he's lost a son. David leaves the city, he is occupied during his exile, and he makes the grief-filled journey back towards Jerusalem. Same road, same scenery, same Shimei, different spirit. This, the first time Shimei cursed, this time Shimei begs. The first Shimei threw stones, this one throws himself at the feet and at the mercy of David. It wasn't just anger that rose up in Abishai, a whisper rose up within him like a shout. Again, Abishai tries to fulfill his name. Why shouldn't he die, David? He is guilty. He's a hypocrite. He deserves the sword. He deserves the same treatment that he gave you. Let me strike him. To be continued. Now, all of that to make two points. All right, are you ready? Hear me carefully. The first one is this. The first lesson in finding out what you're good for, to discover what your gift and your purpose in life is, there are two lessons that you have to learn. The first one is this. You must once again learn to hear the whisper. The truth is this morning, hear me very carefully, is that your name is Abishai too. Oh, okay, now stay with me. I know that your parents didn't name you Abishai and aren't you thankful because wouldn't it have been tough at school? But the reality is, is it doesn't matter if they called you Daniel or if they called you Jennifer, if they called you Margaret, if they called you Debbie, it doesn't really matter. The truth is this morning is that whether you realize it or not, your heavenly father has called you Abishai. You are the father of of a gift. You too have been set apart for greatness. You too have been set apart for destiny. You too have a purpose and plan in your life. And God is still whispering that over you on a daily basis. You are Abishai. You are the father of a gift. You're here for more than just getting three cars and three children and a nice little house with a white picket fence. There's more in life for you than that. In fact, there are three levels of living. Most of us get trapped in the first two. The first one is survival. We just make it from week to week, paycheck to paycheck. We barely scrape by. We don't know if we're going to make it. We make it from one church to another church service. We don't have enough strength or ability to hang on, so we just survive. And we get enough of God on Sunday to hold us till Wednesday. And then we come and get enough of God on Wednesday to hold us to the next Sunday. And we just barely scrape by by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. And we don't know if we're going to make it. God never called you just to survive. The second level of living is the one we all seem to get caught up in, and that is success. We want everybody to know our name. We want everybody to buy our books. We want everybody to listen to our tapes. We want, we want the designer clothes. We want the nice car. We want to be able to compete with the Smiths and the Joneses and stay up with everybody else and give me the nice house. And we think that when we become successful, we will be fulfilled. But I got news for you. God didn't just call you to be successful. He wants you to get to the third level of living, which is significance. 
God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are the father of a gift. You've got to hear again the, the, your father leaning over you and whispering. You've got to recognize again that God has ordained you and set you up as a father of a gift. And just like Jeremiah, he knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. And just like David, we can say about you and God is saying about you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were ever a gleam in your parents' eyes, he knew you and he had plans for you. See, my job on a weekly basis is to stand up here and through faith to to speak into you and call the destiny that is in you out of you. I need to stand up here and call to that seed, that seed that God planted you in you when you were born. He has got a gift deep inside of you. Now, I've got to be able to stand up here and draw that out of you. The problem is this. Most of you have allowed life to drown out the whisper. Most of you have allowed hurtful things and hard things and brokenness to come into your life and and life may have dealt you a rough hand and maybe you made some choices along the way that didn't really help help the matters and now you find yourself, you can't hear the whisper anymore. But I want to tell you this morning that God is still whispering over you. And some of you are sitting here thinking right now, I know it's true because I've been with people and when preachers start talking about destiny and purpose and plan, you turn off because you think in the back of your mind, you're going, yeah, if I was still 16 and I didn't have any responsibilities I could I could fulfill my purpose and the call of God on my life some of you are thinking if I just didn't have all my response if I didn't have the mortgage to pay and if I didn't make the, the mistakes that I made over my past and if my past wasn't marked by mistake after mistake then I could step up and I could do what God has called me to do but hear me this morning just because you haven't been able to hear the whisper doesn't mean it's still not there it's there God is still whispering over each and every person in this room. You are the father of a gift. There is a gift inside of you that needs to come out, that needs to be nurtured, that needs to be grabbed and and bought into. You are the father of a gift. Well, I made too many mistakes. Habakkuk teaches us this, that he's able to restore you right in the midst of the years, right in the middle of life, right, right in the midst of all your problems and right in the midst of all your bad decisions. He can still come in and restore you right in the middle of your year and bring it all back. Joel chapter 2 verse 25 teaches us an important truth. That verse of scripture says this, God says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, which my, my great army, which I sent among you. And what he's teaching us is that he can restore everything. He, he lists those locusts from the worst, the least to the worst destructive. He says, I can take the little dreams and those things that nobody knows about and I can restore them to you and I can take the big dreams that everybody says it's over. There's no hope. There's no chance. There's no way you'll fulfill this. They'll never happen now. Now, because of what you've done, he can restore it all, the least to the greatest. You are the father of a gift. Hear the whisper again. Learn to tune your ears again to the voice of your father who is saying over you have a purpose and a plan and God has something for you to do. Hear the whisper again. When you feel like all hope is gone, hear the whisper again. When you think it's too far gone and you never have a chance, you've forfeited your destiny, hear the whisper again. When you don't feel like you can answer the call of God on your life, hear the whisper again. He's whispering over you because the call of God is without repentance. It doesn't matter what's happened He can still use you. He still has a plan. He still has a purpose. The second thing I would say to you is this. We've got to learn. Is that we must constantly try to discover our gift. Notice, if you will, from very early on, Abishai is trying everything he can do to give his gift. 
He's trying to figure out what is my gift and let me give my gift. He's, he's tried it. I believe in, he tried it in the cave. I honestly believe it was Abishai when Saul walked into the cave and David and his men were hiding. I, I can hear the tone of his voice. I can hear the words that he's saying. I believe it was Abishai that said, come on, David, here's Saul. He's vulnerable. He, he's, he's turned our hiding place into a restroom stop. He's, he's exposed right now. You can take it. I'll take him down for you and make you king. I think it was Abishai who's trying to give his gift. We know it was Abishai in Saul's camp that said, let me stick him with the spear. I won't have to hit him twice. I only have to throw the spear once and he'll be dead and you'll be king. We also know that it was Abishai that spoke up when Shimei cursed David. In fact, he spoke up twice. Let me kill him. Why? He was constantly trying to give his gift. He was constantly on a pursuit, uh, pursuing that whisper, pursuing that destiny. He was trying everything. And here's the truth this morning. Too many of us don't try anything. Nothing. We won't try anything. We won't attempt anything. We just kind of hide out and we just want to blend in. We don't want anybody to know we're here. And that's why a lot of us will go hide out in large congregations because nobody will pick on us and say, can you do this? or can? No, no. We want to hide out. We just, we, we won't try anything. Abishai was determined. I am challenging you this morning to step up and step out. Quit sitting on your gift. Even if you aren't sure what your gift is, try something. Do something. Attempt something. Don't wait on somebody to ask you, will you give your gift? Nobody came to Abishai and said, hey, can you give your gift? No, they never asked him. He was asking. And we'll get more to that next week. But, but listen carefully. You've got to try. You've got to have an attitude that says, you know what? God has destined me. God has a purpose in me. God has a plan in me. And I'm going to try to give it. All I've got to do is keep trying until I find the right place. Try Something. I'm still amazed at the number of people that go through life saying, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my gift is. And then you go, well, what have you tried to do? And they'll go, nothing. Haven't tried anything. Try something. This is a safe place. Hear me this morning. If you think that your gift is singing on the worship team, try. This is a safe place. We may have to look you square in the eye and in love say, you know what? I don't really think that, that you're on the right path. We want you to try something else. Right? It's a safe place. Try greeting. If, you know, maybe you're, you're destined to be a Walmart greeter one of these days. I don't know. But try greeting. Come to the greeting team and say, can I help you greet? And if you're standing out there and when people walk in, you look like the mule who tried to suck the golf ball out of the gopher hole, we'll come to you and say, you know what? You probably shouldn't be a greeter either. But we'll try something. I'd, listen, hear me this morning. I'd rather you try something and fail than to try nothing at all. See, too many of us have listened to Homer Simpson's reality. His reality is this. This is truth from Homer Simpson, all right? Theology from Homer Simpson 101. Here we go. Here's what he said. You tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. Duh! Come on. You know what the real lesson is? Try something else. Listen, some of you are, all of you, all of you are Abishai's, the father of a gift. God has whispered over you and has been whispering over you before you were ever conceived. God has a plan and a purpose in your life. And the way that you find out what you're good for is you try something. Quit sitting on your gift. Don't let the song die in you. 
Some of you sat in here and there's a song in you and it's dying because you won't try. Some of you've got a, the gift of greeting in you and it's dying because you won't try. Some of you have the gift of, of cleaning up and servicing the house of God and serving the people of God, but you won't try and so it's dying in you. Your gift is dying and I'm challenging you this morning. Try something. This is a safe place. Don't let your gift die. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. But because you've convinced yourself, you've listened to the wrong whisper, you've listened to whatever everybody else has said about you, you go, I'm too shy, I'm too timid, I can't tell anybody about Jesus, I can't win my world to Christ, I, I'm not equipped, I'm not gifted. I, that's, and you've listened to the wrong voice, and I'm saying to you, that gift will shrivel up and die in you if you don't try. So the first two steps to find out what you're good for are these. First of all, you've got to hear the whisper again. Can you hear it? Listen carefully. Can you hear God in your spirit saying, you're the father of a gift? Well, my family told me I was good for nothing. That's not what I asked you. My friends told me I, I, was, I couldn't do anything. That's not what I asked you. I didn't ask what they said. I said, can you hear the whisper? The loudest voice is not always the voice. Hear the still, small voice calling you by name. He knows you by name. And he's saying, you know what, Hannah? You're the father of a gift. Jonathan, father of a gift. Right? Tina, you're the father of a gift. Courtney, father of a gift. Aaron, father of a gift. Each, I could go around the room and point you out every one of you. There's no exception. There's nobody off limits this morning. Each and every one of them. Natalie, you're the father of a gift. Devin, you're the father of a gift. In fact, I go into their room on a regular basis when they don't know it, and I whisper over them, you're the father. In fact, I've started asking them, and we did this real regular a few months ago, and we kind of backed off, but I'm, I know it's still in their spirit because I asked them last week when I dropped them off to school. I look at them square in the eye, and I say, who are you? And I won't let them out of the car until they answer me. Who are you, Devin? Come on, tell me. He won't do it. He's a mighty man of God. That's who he is. God is whispering over each and every one of you, saying, you've got a gift. We've got to hear the whisper. The second step is this. We've got to try something. Some of you have tried some things and you've been hurt and you've been talked about and laughed at. That won't happen here. Let me tell you, you've got to find this place as a safe place and do something. Try something. If you've never found your gift yet, that's all right. Try something else. Some of you would be trying for the first time. Some of you would be trying for the hundredth time. That's all right. The only way that you can find out what you are good for is to risk failure. You've got to try and try and try. You've got to be like the little train. I think I can. I think I can. I think we will help you find your I can. We'll help you get up the hill and figure out what it is. But we, we cannot force you. We, won't, we cannot ask you enough. We might ask you, but we can't ask you enough and talk you into Listen, you've got to take the initiative on your own, and you've got to step up and say, I've got something to contribute. This is my gift. Let me try. To be continued. Because there's some more principles out of his life that are crucial. If you miss the next few principles, you're going to miss it all. These are important. These will teach you how to find your gift. Father, I thank you for your people. God, in this quiet moment, help us to hear. God, in this quiet moment, I pray that you would begin to speak into the hearts of individuals 
who may have bought into the lie that they're not good for anything. God, this morning I pray that they would hear very clearly your voice. Your word teaches us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Help us to tune into your voice. God, we need to hear you. God, I pray right now that they wouldn't hear a man's voice. They would hear your voice speaking and whispering over them. You are Abishai, the father of a gift. We come against every voice that's said about us that we aren't good for anything, that we can't accomplish anything, that we were an accident, that we were a mistake that we're a nobody, that we're nothing. God, we come against that right now and we don't listen to those voices. We listen to your voice. Speak destiny into us right now, God. God, for those that are sitting under the sound of my voice that feel like their destiny has been forfeited and lost because of decisions they made or by the stage of their life or by hardships that they face, Father, I pray that Habakkuk would become a true reality in their life again, that God, right in the middle of their years right in the midst of their pain, right in the midst of their heartache, you would restore them. Restore them this morning, I pray. God, I pray that you'd restore all to them. The big dreams that everybody knew about and the little dreams that nobody knew about. Your word in Joel teaches us that you will come and restore the most devastating things and the least devastated things. God, you can restore them all. Restore us, oh God. God, I pray that you would allow us to rise up and understand that this is a safe place and we refuse to sit on our gifts any longer. We refuse to let the song die in us. We refuse to let the greeting die in us. We refuse to let the junior high ministry die in us. We refuse to let the youth minister that's inside of us die. God, there is a gift in us and we will try something. We will step out in courage and in faith and we will try and fail if necessary to discover what our gift is. God, let this be a safe place. I come against every voice that would ridicule. I come against every attitude that would say they can't do it as well as I can or they don't know how to do anything. God, we come against that and we create a safe environment, a safe atmosphere to where we can try and try and try again until we're able to give our gift, fulfill our purpose. That's our prayer this morning. Father, I am speaking over and praying over a congregation of Abishai's. I pray that we would sacrifice and commit our lives to you today. In Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a song. I want this to be our closing prayer this morning. Listen to what you're saying as you sing this. Hear God calling into your spirit. You're an Abishai, the father of a gift. He wants to teach you what you're good for. In Jesus' name.
it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.